0: Praise God. Let's go ahead and begin. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Good morning. It is good to see everybody here this morning. And I know that the ladies had a great time at the retreat. I know that Gwen is, uh, she was pretty fired up. Let me tell you, you get a bunch of ladies together at a conference and they, uh, Let's just let's just leave it this way. It's not Las Vegas, but what goes on there? If you have never, ladies, if you have never gone on a retreat with them, I want to encourage you next year to sign up and go. Uh, matter of fact, I think that every year it, it helps our church as much as the individual as they come back. It's just the same way with their young people when they go to camp. And uh, just just get fired up. Uh, we have some things in the plan planning stage for the men's ministry, so men get ready. We're going to have some good things going on. You know, today Gwen is in the children's church, so it gives me a little bit more freedom. If you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> you you know. Uh, there, there's something about having somebody in your life that kind of gives you that nudge, you know, that kind of reminds you or even gives you revelation of how things are going. I, I remember, uh, I, I remember just when we were first married. We does anybody ever remember those touch lights that you just had to touch the metal and it would come on? And well, we had one, and I, I don't know, we got it from somebody. And since I'm kind of a joker, I'm sure somebody. Got me one that was extra sensitive. And I remember any time during a storm, that thing would come on. And Gwen, it was on my side of the bed, so she would nudge me. And I would go from sleeping to, Bunk! you know, what's up, what's up, what's up? Turn off the lights. And I'd wake up and the light was on. Revelation, the light was on. That's why I have it her and have her in my life. Revelation in certain areas. And and uh, you know, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night we'll hear something. Anybody ever hear something move in the middle of the night? Or, you know, and you always wonder, you know, what it is. That I am the man. I'm, you know, the I'm the go go look and see what that was guy. And uh, you know, I'll hear something, and, and Gwen's kind of one of those, you know, we're studying in the Christian education phlegmatic, so she's gonna She's about like this all the time. And and she, uh, you know, I'll say, what was that? And she'll be like, it's just a train. (laughs) Like, uh, oh, well, I I knew that. I knew that, you know. She gives me a revelation what that is. If she ever kind of gets out of that, you know, I'm concerned. Last night at 2.45 a.m. We have a clock about like this and it tells the time but also it tells the temperature outside, inside. You got one of those and and we place it up in the window which is about seven feet high in our walk-in shower and the shower is all tile. And Did I say it's about seven feet up and at about 246 to be exact that thing came falling down on that tile. Now I was in REM and if you don't know what that is that's not a drug that's a rapid eye movement you know I'm sleeping and, and I thought either the Navy SEAL team or a SWAT team had come into the house now I was looking for assurance from Miss Gwen it just something felt but she was like what was that which confirmed, get up and run. So I was asleep, and then I went to fully awake until I found out what was the noisemaker. It was something harmless. But sometimes it's not harmless, and today as we continue the series on Start Here, we're talking about everything has a starting point. We know that we were born, it was a starting point, and you know, you have starting your education, the first day you went to school, so forth. But in our in our talking about our faith, we're talking about it different than when maybe some of us have come to know Jesus Christ and make Him Lord and Savior of our life as a child. Because as a child, we begin to see things differently, and we we have faith, and, and we walk by faith and not by sight. Just because we trust somebody that says this is the way to go, but but there's a time in our life as an adult that sometimes. We get to questioning, you know, what was that? And and we need someone to kind of assure us and again, bring us back to the revelation of what what is truth, but not just on the Bible says for for us believers. We we put our faith on the Bible, but there's people in your life and maybe. Maybe it's even become you that you say, you know what, I, I just. I have a problem with just blindlessly, even though that's what faith is. But can can someone please tell me a little bit more? And as a, as an adult, I, I'd like to see it and maybe decide for myself a starting point in my faith. And some of you might be saying, you know, I want to relaunch my faith because I've gone through things and I've the things that I've heard just didn't line up. Maybe I don't, so that, that's why the energy that we we put into this sermon series on start here. You know, there's something that I know about you. And I know about all of us. Let me let me just ask, because I'm going to have a time of confession. We're not Catholic here today, but we're going to all just kind of be honest, if you will. How I know about you is that you've gone through a time, sometime in your life that you've negotiated with God. Huh? God, God, I, I tell you What? You know, you're the junior in the high school, you know, and you're coming home and you go, God, if my parents aren't up, I just, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll sit on the front row. Not that any of you are sitting on the front row because of that. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I'll sit on the front row if my parents are asleep. If I just, you know, and, you know, and then some of us are, you know, like, God, we're not ready to have a baby yet. Please, God. No, 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 God. I'll do anything. God. And making that late trip to the grocery store. God, no more children, no more baby seats, God. No more chunky cheese birthdays, God. And do, I'll do anything, God. Negotiating. Now, Now, let's be honest. How many people here have ever negotiated with God? Let me see your hand. Keith, I don't see your hand. And I know you have negotiated with God. Do you know why I know that? It's because I know that it's a fact that even atheists will negotiate with God if the situation gets to a point where it's totally out of their control and they can't do anything about it. They get to the place where they go, you know what? I don't know if there's someone out there somehow, some way. Somebody that that has maybe built up even what they consider a resistance about the word of God. And they'll say, God, if you're out there, please. I'm in a situation where I'll do this. Now, now let me me give you two assumptions. If you've ever been there and you've negotiated with God, the the first thing is that you have to have a lot of faith. You you might say, well, I I don't know if I have a lot of faith, but you have to have a lot of faith. First assumption is that you have to assume that God knows you exist and and that he, he knows your situation and he's willing to do something about it. Those are all assumptions on your part. And then you have to assume that he really even cares about your situation. But here's the second assumption that I've I've found out is that. Think about it. That when you negotiate. You think that you have something that God wants. In order to trade for what you want. And a lot of times what we negotiate with is we think that he wants our obedience. And we say, God, and we start chopping our feet, you know, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll, I'll give more. Because apparently everybody says that you want more money and God, I just, if they say it, I must be. So I'm going to give you more money and I'm going to find somebody, I'm going to help a little lady across the street. I'm going to, And you, we start pulling out all these things that we think that is going to get his approval. And therefore, we're going to move the hand of God because in negotiating with Him, we have this this mindset that there's something that He wants that we have. But here's the thing. When when you come to know Jesus and you know Christianity and, and you begin to see this picture, the thing about it at the epicenter of this whole belief system is that God doesn't have anything or you don't have anything that God wants. But it's what God has to give you that it's important. See, see, as as people, we begin to think that if we just do this thing, if we do that thing, if we have this formula, if we if if we, do, if we do, then we'll get a God's approval. We'll go to church more. We'll spend more time on the things of God. We'll we'll do the things that we think He requires. Can. can Can I say it again? It's not, it's it's in the Christian faith. It's not about God getting something from you, but that God wants to give you something. God is, come on, God is the creator of the whole universe. And when we begin to really meditate on that for a minute, there's something that comes over us that when we understand the fact that He is not trying to get something from us, but trying to give us something, The the one word that sums it all up that sometimes really is so uh, amazing that that we can't even grasp it. We, We can say it in English and we can kind of talk about it and discuss it in small groups. But we just can't really grasp it. And the word is grace. Can you say that with me? Grace. Say it again. Grace. The the word that I learned when I was young. Grace is defined this way. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. Getting something for nothing. Something that I don't deserve. The person that receives grace doesn't get the... Their chest popped out and go. Did you see how cool I was? I got grace. No, it's always the person giving grace. That is the person that is that looked at as the hero. Now, now, let me give you this because sometimes we get mercy and we get grace confused. But this is going to be revelation to some of you. Mercy is not getting punishment for what you deserve. How many people have ever cried for mercy in your life? A lot of times it's when the policeman comes up to your window, right? Please! I deserve a ticket, but please! Mercy. But see, grace is an upgrade even from mercy. It's not getting what you deserve, the punishment you deserve, but it's getting a reward for it. It's Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us as Christians that we believe this. That what we deserve is hell. But when Jesus comes on the scene and dies for us, not only do we not get hell, hallelujah, that would be great. But the reward is that we get to choose heaven. We get to choose something that we not only didn't deserve, but we get a reward. That's grace. This is the way that I read it, is mercy and grace are two sides of a coin. And the coin is love. Humans are weak and unworthy. We all need God's mercy and His grace. Mercy takes us to the path of forgiveness, while grace leads us to reconciliation. Now, this morning on the on the subject and talking about an adult starting point for faith, I, I want to look at a passage in the Book of Ephesians. and And if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to highlight like this because this is a passage that can stand out in those when we sing about He is the light in the darkness, and when we go through the dark times and we go, you know, where are you? That we bring this back up to remember this. And again, it brings us back to that point of saying, God, Your grace is amazing. Now, now to to make His point of, of, here's Jesus and He is the grace giver, you know, and what He did on the cross. But to make his point as a personal example to the people of the time of Ephesians, he chooses the Apostle Paul. He's a Christian killer. And he's going to take this man that has been in this spot for so long as a Christian killer, a persecutor of actually the church that's going on, and he's going to take this guy and he's going to give him revelation of his love, his mercy, and his grace. And Paul's life, Saul, is going to come to Paul a new identity in Jesus Christ as an example of grace. So th- this morning, sometimes, you know, in, in a in a service like this, you know, I could be preaching and, and there's somebody over here that's hearing it different than over here. And someone over here is going, wow, but this person's going, I knew that. So let, let's all stay connected this morning when I say this. All of us were sinners. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago in, our, in this series. And, and we're not just mistakers. But when we come to that understanding of saying, God, it's only by your grace that I can be saved. This is Paul. And Paul is going to write this 30 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. There are actually live eyewitnesses that are still alive. I, I just kind of want to sit this this scene and and Paul comes into this place and he's in prison because he has been preaching about Christianity, about Jesus' love. And sometimes we don't understand that. Why would people be against that? But for them in this time, it was going against. You got to jump on one leg and you got to whistle Dixie and you got to do all these things in order to be forgiven. It was the old covenant of the Jewish people. They could not accept the new covenant. It just didn't work. And Paul comes on the scene as this, really a, a, a sparkling star, you know, to say, man, let me just show you good news. He's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's writing to a group of people that he doesn't even know. This isn't necessarily just a church. The people at Ephesus and... This is kind of a a negative way as he's pinning this, as he's writing this. And you'll you'll see it. Look at this. It says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, you were separated from God. In other words, you had no relationship. You've heard people say, you're dead to me. Why are they saying that? Because they say there's no relationship. Paul is saying that we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, separated from God, in verse four it says that the key words to this whole sermon, ready but God see see watch this how he says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even When we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. See, traditionally, sin says this, but I, but I, but I, but I, it's all about me, 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 me. But I messed up. But if I wouldn't have done that, but if I could just do this better and, and quicker, and if I could do it with a better, but if I, 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 I. But here in Ephesians, Paul comes on and says, no, it's not about you. And even to this day, people stumble. Because when they have to say, but God, there's a humility that comes over a person that says, you know, it's not me. It's only by God. Now, now watch this. Instead of saying, but God, I should have done this, and but I promised this, God. When we go, but God. It's because of his great love for us can, can you say that what Paul said because of his great love for us say it again because of his great love for us now there's a time in your life where you go why God come on God what come on what why would you heal me why would you save me why would you forgive me Why? why would you do that And there's a lot of people that we know that are not believers that can't even get over that hump because they go, why would He do that for me? And it's not about you. It's not about them. But it's all about but God. See, it's because of His great love for us. This morning, I, I want us to kind of change that word us and make it even more personal. Sometimes we sing songs and we make it personal and all of a sudden it pops and we kind of maybe get that revelation. Instead of saying because of His great love for us, can you repeat this? Because of His great love for me. Say it with me. Because of His great love for me. Say it again. Because of His great love for me. Why did He do it? Because of His great love for me. we go back and finish that passage in verse 4 it says but God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were in our transgressions it is by grace you have been saved now now watch this God chose to unseparate us because we were separated he chose to bring us back together he chose to unseparate us because he wanted to because of his great love for us In verse 6, you'll stay with me. You'll you'll see how it comes even more clear of what he's trying to say. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of his great love for us. Verse 7, in order that in this coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Did, did you understand it said in order that in coming ages can I, can I make a suggestion that you might not have known were in those coming ages that He might show His incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, it's almost like he begins to circle around and in saying this, he wants to make sure that you get it. He says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We we talked about that a few weeks ago about faith and how the, the people of Israel through Abraham had to come to the point of believing before they could actually see it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith Again, you have to have faith in God's grace. Listen, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Can you say that word gift? Gift. It is the what? It is the what? It is the gift of God. You know, some of us want to Want to do things that we think that are you know, but when we understand, and somebody maybe just like today says it's a gift. Depending on our background, you know what I'm saying, what's in our past, that we go well, maybe that gift has some ties to it, and maybe we have to do something in order. Can we just just breathe lightly today to realize? that the grace gift was given to us? It was a gift. Well, pastor, do I I have to earn it? Do I have to bargain? No, you don't have to bargain. Why? Because look at verse 9. Not by works. Hallelujah. So that no one can boast. See, there's someone in here that says, you know what? I have been a Christian all my life. Not only have I not drunk a beer, but I don't even look at a beer. And that includes the ones with hair. Harry, Okay. I, I'm a I'm a believer and I am righteous. I, I don't have to. see See, so many times again, if we're not careful, we begin to think that the gift was given to us by how? By our own doing. Our works not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God did not leverage your goodness for grace. God leveraged his character for grace. It's not something that you did in order to get grace. Now, now, listen to me, because that's the theological part of this message. Let me give you something that's very practical. At the end of the day, when you are deciding on what you're going to do in your faith, and this morning as an adult, it could be a relaunch of your faith that's saying, God, I want passion again. Here's the question that you've got to come up with in a good starting point of your faith, and that is this. What standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? Is it, is it your behavior? Or is it God's grace? Because a lot of times when we talk about this, there's somebody that will say, well, you know, it, it's kind of... It, and really, they'll, they'll say it a couple of ways. Either they'll say, well, the way that I see it, I made it up. But nobody will say, I made it up. They'll, they'll say, well, it, it comes from a list of behaviors. And a lot of times people use... The Ten Commandments, and you can't use the Ten Commandments because a couple of weeks ago, I hope you were here, when we told about the commandments were given to people that already God had chosen and loved. It wasn't a, a case of either you do these or you're not in. And there's some people that will even go to the New Testament and they'll look around for certain behaviors and they'll go, the Sermon on the Mount. And let me tell you this right now. There's no, have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Whoever uses that? There's no way of living like it. God raised the standard so high, He was making a point that throughout, without me, you can't do anything. And there's there's some people that'll say, you know, Pastor, it you know, it's kind of a blend. And let me tell you this. But a lot of times we have heard that, maybe even in a church, that that you have been influenced biblically with your list, but it's not biblical. It, It was taken out of context. It might have meant for well. It might have meant for your goodness. But so many times people begin to work and work and work and work to try to be righteous. And so many times, people that do not know Christ will look at people and they'll go, there's no way that I can be that. And the good news becomes disheartening news. Because of somebody's list of things that they had to do to get saved. What standard are you going to use? What what I found out is people that even make their own list aren't even consistent in following their own list. The question is what will you do for you, or what will you do and allow God that has already done for you? I want to say it this way all through the history of religion and most all religions. There's a sense of, uh, in the the Old Testament, and the lights went out in Georgia. All right. Sometimes our lights get hot and they get overfused. But you know what? I know how to preach even up here in the darkness. So you can just listen right here. (laughs) Wow. Nothing like a support team, huh? It's waiting for me to talk to come back on. all through history and religion, the people have looked at God and they've tried to say, you know what God, how many animals do I have to kill to get your approval and sacrifices? And if you'll study all kinds of religions, what they would do is they would say, you know, what would I need to get your favor in my life? Would I, what, what, what do I need to do to get more crops to grow? And a lot of times, even believers in the Old Testament would switch gods because their God seemingly was building a more of a productive crop system or agricultural system in their country. And then they'll jump through and say, God, well, how many, what do I need to do to have a wife? Well, how would you bring a wife, and I'll do this, and how many God? What do I need to do to get your favor to have a child in my life, or or even even to do something that beforehand I couldn't do? God, what do I need to do to be able to get your favor? And the thing that we need to remember that what we're believing with what Christianity is about is it's not what we've done; it's what God has already done for us. And, and you could say this. All the to-dos are response of God to done. What? Why do we as Christians do the things that we do? What, why do we love people? What, why, why are we kind? What, why do we serve one another? Why do we put others' needs in front of ours? It's all because of what Jesus has done for us. And sometimes the world will look at us and go, I, I, I just don't get you. And that's okay. Because it says even, and this is a proven fact, is what man desires the most is unfailing love. And there's something about being a follower of Jesus Christ and doing the to-duns of what he's already done for us and watching those things live out in our life that lives even a more prosperous life than somebody that doesn't. And they go, what, what is different? You're doing the things that seem to be opposite of what everybody else is doing, but you're receiving more joy in your life and more happiness than all these other people that are trying to jump through all these hoops. We don't behave a certain way to get God's approval, we already have it. It's a gift, it's not a trade, it's not a bargain, it's not negotiating, it's receiving. All the to-dos are response to what God has already done in our lives. Let me sum it up. Because of His great love with which He loved you, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it is the gift of God. The Old Testament pointed to it Jesus proved it, and everybody since has pointed back to what Jesus did on the cross. And again, said that's the reason. It's by grace that he saved us. This morning, when we sum it up like that, it's such a perfect starting point of a person's faith in God But the thing that we get to the point of saying, oh, oh, I want to start, is this. Embracing the fact of the amazing grace of God is sometimes so humbling because it's nothing you can do. And to receive someone that has done something for you kind of takes out the the power of you trying to earn it. The attitude of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Pastor, I've gone to church every day of my life since I was born. Doesn't that account? You see what I'm saying? There's always someone. There's always someone that says, you know what? I, it's not the person that has not been so amazing. Amazing. that realizes how amazing the grace of God is? There's things in our life that if we're not careful, we begin to shut down and say, God, that's too good for me. It's because of God's great mercy that He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Can I tell you the only thing that's left If you do not receive the grace of God. And it's something that maybe you're not going to like. But it's self-righteousness. And the thing about self-righteousness is. It starts out holy. But it ends up ugly. Judgmental. And it's 180 degrees different. Than what the word of God says. So this morning. As we come to the end of this message, it's such a simple message, but again, as somebody here might say, Pastor, I've heard that before. Have you? Or have you just taken it as, well, that's the way it is? Or have you gone from knowing it in your head and processing it into your life? Because I'll tell you this is what I found out over and over when somebody that has processed this into their life the amazing grace of what God has done for them they can't earn it they can't, they don't deserve it those people don't have a problem worshiping again they might have a problem remembering from week to week and letting circumstances get into our life and cloud it and we, but let me tell you this and let me encourage you this as I encourage myself every Sunday, when I have circumstances that happen, even like clocks falling off of the shower in the middle of the night, and I get tired and I get here. But it's my responsibility every Sunday when I stand up here and Lisa begins worshiping. What am I going to do with that amazing grace? Am I going to take it for granted? Am I going to say, oh God, please. And come to the fact it's not but me. Instead, come to the fact it's but God. And God, again, I am so thankful. This morning, I'm going to try to sing Amazing Grace cappella. So would you sing loud? Our God is good, isn't it? again, will you?